Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, Annabelles, and you know what? Uh, what? Darren's. Why not? Ooh. Oh, someone called me a Darren this week. <laughs> nice. Are um, you Darren? Well, maybe. <laughs> I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello. Hi, friends. Hi, Spooby Gang. And uh, happy December. Almost saying goodbye to 2020. Uh, usually I think, man, this this year really flew by. Yeah. I don't feel that way about 2020. Do you, feel, like, do you feel like goodbye and good riddance? Um, you know, I mean, overall for the world, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2020 feels like it's lasted a couple years. <laughs> it's It's been a very strange year, which we all know. And, you know, there's been some good that's come we've out been, of it. We've been very lucky. Yeah, we've been able to overall, work and lots I of time bad. with family, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make it not stressful. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I, I uh, constantly feel bad for so many people where I'm like, God, yeah. small business owners, all, all, all that stuff. All that stuff. So, but let's not go there. Let's, let's not go there. Escapism. <laughs> let's, let's do it. Very, very cool creep, uh, and, uh, creep and peeper coffee mugs in the store at badmagicmerch.com. Some Brent Muir designs. Yeah, Brent. Uh, I don't know if you guys can actually see it because it's so dark in mm-hmm. here, but there are some paintings above each of our heads mm-hmm. that Brent did for us that are so cool. And he did such a good job on the uh, art for these mugs. Very, very cool. Uh, Yeah, we're big fans. And if you need any merch help, we have a new customer service email, store at badmagicproductions.com. Also just heard from our vendors that December 1st was the cutoff for international sales to make it uh, to your homes by Christmas. Eek. And, which is, I know, when this episode comes out. And also... uh, End of the week, December 4th, end of day for domestic U.S. sales to make it, you know, to be quote unquote guaranteed to make it by uh, by December 25th. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. the, the garments have to be made. Yeah, made and to then, order, COVID-related supply problems. Yeah, and then the USPS. I mean, it's mm-hmm, all the things that we know. So we're just really trying yeah. to pad that timing. And we're not a big corporation like Amazon that can have warehouses no. full of stocked goods. Exactly. Uh, also, Annabelle's uh, The November This Looks Awesome uh, has been out for over a week. So if you haven't checked it already, please check it out. Check your Patreon emails. And uh, we announce its release on socials as well. At Scared to Death Podcast, Instagram and Facebook. And what what was the movie? It was uh, Mandy this time. Oh, Nicholas yeah. Cage, Cage, Mandy. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, like an action horror uh, movie, indie movie, cult classic. Very interesting. Very cool. And for our um, December Patreon donation, uh, going to talk about it at the end of the show. Yeah, it's too complicated. It's a little complicated. At the top. You'll you'll understand why if you want to listen t- at the end. And then that's it for announcements. Try okay. To, try to get through them fast. Go go uh, go. I hear you have two stories today, two and they're stories. bigger ones, right? Um, yes. I mean, as you know, I prep my stories in advance, but mm-hmm. oh man, one is like uh, is a haunted underwater cave, oh, which is okay. totally new and interesting, I think, for us. Um, and then I'm trying to remember the other one. Oh, haunted doll. Okay. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. A haunted doll and underwater. And this is uh, you don't know this. But w- the way we kind of record our bonus episode for our um, Roberts and Annabelle's, it's also going to have a cave story that will release before this story. Gosh dang. So people are like, wait a minute. They just did a cave story. Well, you didn't know that. Oh, my heck. When, oh, my heck. When we recorded today. 
So it's got some caves coming up. Cool. Um, I have my two. The first one is pretty small, and then the second one is pretty big. Okay. First one comes from a few years ago in Houston, Texas, an unsettling Uber ride. I don't want to give away any more. Okay. The next comes from San Diego and is a series of encounters lasting over 150 years. Uh, a very famous haunted house, the infamous Whaley House, one of America's most uh, supposedly long haunted buildings. Sounds very familiar. It's, you know, over the years, it showed up in a lot of, like, magazine top ten lists, most haunted places. Uh, a lot of, you know, um, paranormal TV shows have sent their investigators there. Okay. And, and that's been going on for decades. Okay. So, so I, it's somewhere I've heard it. Yes. Uh, I bet you have. Okay. Sounds good. I'm are into you, it. Are you ready to get cozy and get going? I am. You know, a couple weeks ago now was my birthday, mm-hmm. and I got this beautiful, I can never say it, lapis lazuli. Lapis lazuli? Lazuli. I want to say lazuli. <laughs> um, so I, ha- I have extra protection today. And check out these fuzzy socks that my bestie Randy gave to me. Cute. These ones are so toesy. Nice winter socks. Yes. Okay, I'll get cozied up with my blankie. Yeah, no setup. We're getting oh, right okay, into Okay, I'll go fast. Time now for the tale of the other passenger. Kathy's lived in Houston all her life and had never experienced a paranormal incident before or since this one. It was the summer of 2017. She was working downtown in one of the big high-rises in the accounting office of the headquarters for a massive international construction company based in Texas. And on a rainy July day, she left her office at about 6.20 p.m. when it was still storming pretty hard. Her car was in the shop. She'd planned on just grabbing a cab, but due to the rain, she was having a hard time finding one, and she wanted to stand on the sidewalk and get soaked. So she decided to grab an Uber. Uber was slammed as well. When she opened the app, it looked like the closest available ride was 30 minutes away. She reserved it. It started to drive towards her from the airport. She could watch it on the app. She let out a little irritated sigh. She really didn't want to have to wait a half hour to get picked up. Kathy called her husband. They lived only 15 minutes away to see if he could come get her. And while on the phone with him, she suddenly saw that her ride was now only four minutes away. Weird, she thought. How did that happen? She assumed the app must have glitched or something. She told her husband she didn't need a ride after all and that she'd be home soon. She hung up, wondered a bit more about how the driver, if he had been so far away earlier, was so close to her now. A few minutes later, she saw her Uber and hopped inside. She had her app set to pool, which means you can end up sharing your ride with other people heading in the same direction, and today it appeared she would be sharing her ride with another woman. When Kathy hopped into the back seat, she sat next to a young, tan-skinned girl who appeared to be in her late 20s, early 30s, She was very thin, had shoulder-length blonde hair, and was wearing black leggings and a blue top. Her bangs blocked her face from Kathy. She was looking out the window, and she didn't acknowledge Kathy at all when Kathy got into the car. The driver said hello, threw out the usual Uber confirmation of, Kathy? Yes, Omar? She confirmed back. Then they had a bit of small talk, some can-you-believe-this-rain, how's-your-day-going kind of mindless conversation, and the other woman in the backseat never engaged in any of it or acknowledged that anyone else was talking or in the car with her. She just continued to stare out her window silently, not moving, not saying a word, not making any sounds at all. About three or four minutes into the ride, Kathy looked at her app to see how much time was left to make it to her destination. About 12 minutes. First, it appeared that her driver would be dropping off this other strangely quiet and still woman in about five minutes. Kathy then gazed out her own window, listening to whatever pop from some Spotify playlist or Pandora radio station was coming out of the driver's speakers. She got lost for a bit, thinking about what she'd been up to at work that day, 
what work was left to do on the current project. She'd be finishing up the following day, what needed to be done when she got home. She had to remember to call her dad, order a birthday gift for her sister, etc. And then she suddenly realized there were only a few blocks from her condo. But what about the other passenger? They hadn't stopped. She hadn't been that lost in thought. She turned her head and let out a slight gasp when she saw she was now alone in the back seat. Excuse me, Omar, she said. Did you just drop off that other woman? What other woman? Said Omar. Cassie thought he was joking for a moment and then realized he was 100% serious. She was so confused. She had clearly seen another woman in the back seat with her. She had looked at her numerous times. She was only two feet away, sitting there, plain as day. What? The woman who was just sitting right beside me a few minutes ago, blonde hair, blue short sleeve shirt. Omar turned the radio down. No, ma'am. He said there was no other woman there. But she was on the app and everything. Kathy protested. No, ma'am. He said again. Wait, Kathy said, were you out by the airport when you first accepted my ride? The airport? Asked Omar. No. Huh. I was only a few minutes away over by the convention center. Then he shot Kathy a strange little smile through the rearview mirror. Everything okay? He asked, still smiling as he pulled up to her condo building. Yeah, said Kathy unsteadily, feeling a bit nervous for reasons she didn't understand. Fine. Take care, Kathy, he said as she stepped out of the car. Creepy. Kathy shut the door and then hurried to get out of the rain. Once in the lobby, she hit the elevator button and the door almost immediately opened. She got into the empty elevator and when the door closed, muttered to herself, What the fuck? How could she have been all alone in that cab? There had been someone next to her. She was positive. She may not have uttered a single word during the ride, nor did she move at all, but she was there. Wasn't she? She sat there, same posture, her head facing the same direction all that while. She remembered those details, still thinks about them, because it was so odd. Who doesn't move? Who doesn't acknowledge someone else getting into the car? Kathy is absolutely certain, as of writing out her story a few years after this all happened, that this woman was very real. What she wonders is, was she a ghost or something else? Unless she sees her again and she hopes she won't, she will always wonder about this. And that's it. Just a little one. How bizarre. Mm -hmm. I'm having so many thoughts about that. Like, okay, I mean, I've been in a million Ubers. Mm -hmm. I've never done the pool thing. Because I'm paranoid. Because I'm a woman. And mm -hmm. like, if I'm traveling alone, if you're, if it's you and I, you uh, have, yeah. you have? Uh, yeah, I did it um, back uh, every once in a while when um, it would be like the pool ride would be closer. Okay. To this is back when we were living in Santa Monica. Yeah. And I was going to LAX mm -hmm. and uh, a few times there where it's like it was just faster based on ride av availability to hop in somebody else's ride. Okay. Well, being a girl, mm -hmm. if I could afford like, obviously I get it like sometimes it's just cheaper because yeah. sometimes they jack up the prices and mm -hmm. everything, but mm -hmm. I was never in that kind of situation. And I did always have this thought when Uber first became a thing. People would talk about like, oh, but aren't you nervous about getting in the car with a stranger? It's like, well, getting in a cab is this in my it mind. same, yeah. Same. Other than, you know, I think that people feel like about cabs like well you have to pay for like if you're in new york like it's very expensive to get your mm -hmm. your cab license and all of that but with uber i mean people can really track you i can share my I ride know. with you i actually felt safer but i yeah. still you know just i don't know it's it, it always made me nervous so i never did the pool yeah. thing however if i got in a car right and very clearly saw someone right, my, you're for several minutes sitting next to somebody well i would i would I, I can't believe she didn't talk to that someone. Like, I would try to engage because mm. that's my personality. So I'd be like, right. hey, how are you? Or like, hey, are you okay? 
I guess Kathy wasn't. Uh, you know, I will say I'm different that way, where if I got in the car with somebody who's being super standoffish and just like looking out the window and didn't acknowledge, and I got like a weird vibe, I would get a weird vibe because of that okay, behavior. Okay. I would not say anything to them. Hmm, but you do love to engage a cab driver. Oh, do you ever? <laughs> I do like to engage the driver. You do. Mm-hmm. You do. To a degree I do not understand. Fair. Yes. Um, very interesting. I mm-hmm. it felt like Omar was in on it at the end. Like I know his, there was like, a couple weird details. Kathy. I was like, uh huh, uh huh. Like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just an interesting little random little little baby story. Little baby story. Also, it did make me think. Um, we were talking about the torrential rain and trying to get an Uber. Mm-hmm. I think it was. Well, actually, it was when Scared to Death launched. So over uh-huh. over it was, a year ago, it was Tacoma. We were in Tacoma. We had taken the kids to see Elton John <laughs> on his umpteenth farewell tour right uh and we came out and it was, it was pouring torrential and we were running through the rain trying to make it to and it was so, the traffic was so backed up we did not i did not we'd pl- never been to a show there we didn't know what to expect <laughs> remember bottleneck we ran from the um the arena mm-hmm. into a hotel lobby mm-hmm. where everybody ran mm-hmm. and then we were in there like waiting trying to uber trying to uber cancel cancel do you remember that our uber driver ended up parking ran, his he, car he came towards us in the rain right we was ran awesome. towards each other in the rain and then it was like a movie yeah it was <laughs> but man maybe he wasn't real i got one picture i now i will say like i i couldn't find a picture that accompanied the story um but i looked for uber ghost passenger pictures oh, couldn't boy. find any but did find a picture of the best uber driver okay uh from london over in England, pretty awesome. This Uber driver set up. Just, snacks? Yes, so many snacks. He basically has a convenience store in the in the back of his seats. That reminds me of... Uh, I just thought that was uh, hilarious. The one and only time I went to Brazil, I found mm-hmm. it to be so odd. Whenever you would come to a, a traffic light, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, people would come upon your car mm-hmm. selling like chargers and yep. bottles of yep. water and snacks. And I was like... What in the world is happening right now? And that somehow flashes me back there. South Africa, exact same thing. Really? Yeah, when I came, when I first got there and was like heading to the hotel from the airport, I like panicked just for a second. I'm like, what the fuck? Like people are just running from the side of the road into the middle of the intersection. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. But like, I'll never forget one dude, like people selling snacks, bottled water, one dude, giant clock. Just pedaling a giant clock in the middle of the intersection. I was like, okay. Huh? Is he like the Flava Flav of South Africa? <laughs> I know, maybe. Bless. Okay, so that first story, just a little one, creepy but not terrifying. This next one has a lot more meat on it, a lot more scares. By the way, it is kind of creepy because now every time I get into an Uber, mm. I am going to think of that story. May linger with you. For sure. Okay, so excited to tell this next bigger story uh, in between today's In Between Tales sponsor break. Thanks for listening, Creeps and Peepers. You ready for a proper haunted house story now? Yes, I am. A little bit of setup, but not much. San Diego's Whaley House. Built back in 1857, this California historical landmark and former home of Thomas Whaley was built atop a graveyard. Ooh, bad choice. Many think the land was haunted long before the home was ever a thought in Thomas's mind to build. But of course. And many think the house that sits there now is certainly haunted. In 2005, Life magazine called the Whaley House the most haunted house in America. According to the Journal of San Diego History, the Whaley House, a home originally, uh, 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 since its inception, excuse me, operated as a general store, courthouse, theater, uh, the first in San Diego, uh, currently now functioned as a museum, has witnessed more San Diego history than any other building in the city. It seems to have also perhaps witnessed more paranormal activity over the years than any other building in the city. 
Shortly after the Whaley family moved in, they told the San Diego Union that they heard heavy footsteps in the house, which they believed to be the ghost of James Yankee Jim Robinson. We'll meet him a little more later. Okay. A man who had been earlier hanged on the property for stealing a boat. Mm. This house didn't have to wait for years for rumors of ghosts. Those rumors began immediately after the Whaley's moved in. Time now for the tale of the Whaley house haunting. June Reading stopped in the parlor and stared. She was the curator of the Whaley House Museum, meaning she knew everything about the house, from its various tiny passages to what order the rooms were built in. She knew all the stories of the hauntings. She herself had heard the occasional odd noises that sounded like footsteps. She thought she'd seen movement a few times out of the corners of her eyes. She'd felt the sensation of being watched, of not being alone in a room when no one else was there, no one who could be seen anyway. But she'd never really freaked out before this. This, what she was seeing now, this was different. A little girl stood in the middle of the parlor. Very human, non-ghost little girl. Just a moment ago, she'd been next to her mother, the two of them standing by a display of silverware. And then the girl, who couldn't have been more than six, broke away from her mother and, as though transfixed, walked to the window and waved. June thought this was strange. It was raining outside. Who could be standing in the rain waving to a child? When she caught June looking, the little girl said... Wave to the man outside. But there wasn't any man standing outside. The street in front of the house was empty. June asked the girl what the man looked like. Don't you see? He has gray hair. He looks old. There, she replied, pointing to a spot just next to a bush. The thing, uh, the next thing she said chilled June to the core. He has a dog with him. See, a little red dog. June, the foremost expert on the, on the Whaley's, knew even without seeing the creature herself that the little girl was talking about Dolly Varden the Whaley's Fox Terrier, and that the man had to be Mr. Whaley, who'd been dead for almost a century. Oh, he's turning away from us, the girl said, disappointed. Bye. The girl skipped back to her mother, and June watched the window. There was still no one there. But then as June continued to watch, she caught a flicker of motion out of the corner of her eye, and smash! A pot fell off the front step of the Whaley house and shattered. As it shattered out on the sidewalk past the pot, stood an old man and his dog. What? He's back! The little girl said. June got the chills. It was 1986, and she was clearly looking directly at the ghost of Thomas Whaley, who had died in 1890. Do you see him? The little girl asked, and June glanced down at her to tell her that she did. And while she was looking at the little girl, she said, Aw, he's gone again. June snapped her head back towards the street. He sure was. She opened the door and stepped outside to look around. No trace of any person out in front of the house. No dog. They'd vanished. Thomas Whaley of Scots-Irish origin was born on October 5th, 1823 in New York City, the seventh child in a family of ten. Wow. When he was only nine, his father, a successful businessman, died and left him money in his will for a good education. And Thomas went out and got that education and followed it up by entering into a long life of successful business ventures. As a young man, Thomas took over his father's successful general store business, ran it for a few years, then left New York on January 1st, 1849. He traveled to San Francisco during the California Gold Rush, opened his own very successful store on Montgomery Street near the Bay, and made an enormous amount of money. Then he traveled down the coast to San Diego in September of 1851, and immediately he fell in love with the charming and much warmer seaside city. Though businesses and social responsibilities would take him elsewhere for a bit, he vowed to return to San Diego. Two years later, Thomas found himself in New York where he met and then married Anna Eloise Delaney on October 14, 1853. 
Together, they returned to California, arriving back in San Diego, his dream city, on December 7th, 1853. And then Thomas Whaley purchased the land where the Whaley House would eventually stand in 1855. The building started with the construction of a granary that would soon become a courtroom. The two-story house and store addition was designed by Thomas Whaley himself and constructed in 1857. It was the first two-story brick edifice in San Diego and was built from bricks made in Thomas Whaley's own brickyard. Wow. It was the American dream, or a slice of it, a house built entirely by Thomas's resources and a house that would reflect the status he'd gained as a businessman. And as it was being constructed, Thomas bragged to his friends, My new house, when completed, will be the handsomest, most comfortable, and convenient place in town or within 150 miles of here. And it would become a beautiful property, arguably the best in the city at the time. And it would also become the site of tragedy for the Whaley family. And it seems as if something knew that it would and tried to warn Thomas. One day in early 1857, Thomas stopped by his new under construction, soon to be home, to see how things were coming along. And he was disappointed to see that certain parts of the house had barely progressed at all since his previous visit. As he stood there making notes of things he wanted to say to the contractors, he heard a strange voice over his shoulder. You shouldn't build here, the voice said in a croaky whisper. It's too dangerous. What? Thomas turned around and saw an old woman, someone he recognized from around town but couldn't quite place. Mrs. White, perhaps? Mrs. Whitting? She was an old woman with long hair so white it was almost translucent. He asked her what she meant, and she shuffled forward, her eyes narrowing as she surveyed the half-built home. Not after what they did to him. She said, he'll never find peace and neither will you. Yikes. Thomas then watched silently as the old woman shuffled down the street and looked back at his house in progress. Who was she talking about? What did it mean they wouldn't find peace? The land had once been used as a graveyard, but surely lots of land got repurposed at one point or another, Thomas thought. As he stared at the construction, he thought stubbornly that it was going to be a beautiful house, a Greek revival-style mansion with a general store built in that would enable their family to live prosperously. Who cared what some insane old woman from town thought? He didn't allow himself to worry about her warning, but years later, he would remember her words. On August 22, 1857, the Whaley's and their two children, with another on the way, moved into their new home. And almost immediately, they noticed that something was wrong. Within a few days of living in the house, Anna Whaley started hearing something when she'd lay down to sleep at night. As she closed her eyes, she would hear it. Thud. 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 It sounded like heavy boots walking across the attic above her. Hmm, she thought. At first, she wondered Thomas must be doing something up there. But then just as she had that thought, her bedroom door shut. It was Thomas coming to bed. Thud. 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 That wasn't Thomas above her. She looked towards her husband and could tell that Thomas didn't seem to register what she was hearing. So Anna tried to ignore the sounds of footsteps. She reasoned that there were many things she didn't know about the house, about certain pieces of machinery and the granary, for instance, and that she was just tired and probably interpreting normal sounds as something else. But when she saw Thomas put on his boots the next day before he left the house and she heard him thud, thud, thudding across the floor, she knew. It was the same sound she'd heard the night before. She had heard someone, or some spirit, walking around the attic. Later that year, Thomas was to have his first paranormal encounter. He was staying alone in the Whaley house for several weeks, while Anna and their children had traveled back to New York to spend time with family. Thomas was conducting business as usual from the store side of the building when it happened. He was working late, putting up some goods, when he began to feel something watching him. 
He felt the presence of this thing in a very real, physical way. It felt like a dense, heavy cloud that had suddenly enveloped him. He immediately felt very tired and moved to the parlor where he lay down on the couch. And as he was laying down with a view of the staircase to the second floor, he saw, out of the corner of his vision, a dark shape moving behind him. When he twisted around to see it, he felt a cold rush of air, and then he heard it. Thud. 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 And he watched the dark shape walking up the stairs to the second floor bedrooms. (sighs) As he continued to lay on the downstairs couch, now too afraid to move, Thomas heard the thuds moving from bedroom to bedroom, as if it was checking to make sure that everyone had left. For some reason, Thomas had the feeling that it, whatever it was, was marking its territory. The next few nights waiting for his family to return, Thomas dreaded the return of this thing. Fortunately, he experienced no other strange encounters at that time. Not until his family returned. When Anna came back the following week, Thomas was starting to hear the footfalls from the attic at night. Every night. He was having a hard time sleeping. He was soon sleep-deprived and irritable. He kept trying to convince himself that the sounds he continually kept hearing were not coming from the dark shape he'd seen on the stairs. That it was all in his mind. But then Anna told him something that would make it impossible for him to convince himself that he hadn't seen something paranormal. One night after the children went to bed, she told him that she hadn't gone to New York to visit family, at least not entirely. What? She'd gone because she was afraid of their big, new, beautiful house. She'd been hearing the footsteps, and she felt that there was something sticking to her in the house. She knew that sounded odd, but she didn't know how else to describe it. It just felt like something, something from the spirit world, had attached itself to her. Something that had come from the house, and she felt she needed to get away from it. She told him she still felt it, and she wanted to move. Maybe it was because of how tired he was, but Thomas did not handle this news well. Noises and shadows or not, this was still his dream house. Instead of sharing with Anna what he also had been experiencing, he suddenly grew angry that Anna would leave for the East Coast without telling him the real reason why. Rage suddenly filled him, white, hot, and sharp. He told Anna that she didn't know what she was talking about, that she hadn't heard anything, that nothing could attach itself to her, that what she was saying was crazy. He told her that if she was actually sick, she should see a doctor, and that they were never leaving this house. Just a few months later, on January 29th, 1858, he would begin to regret immensely his decision for them to stay. Their youngest child, Thomas Jr., just 18 months old, died of scarlet (gasps) fever. Anna and Thomas were crushed. Then, just a few weeks later, the general store that was part of their home caught fire and burned to the ground. Their youngest child and their business had vanished almost overnight. Did illness take the uh, children's lives all the time back then? Of course. Were fires more common and typically more devastating back before modern building codes and modern fire departments? Certainly. But the back-to-back tragedies didn't feel natural in origin to the Whaley's. Thomas kept thinking about the thing he'd seen on the stairs. Anna thought about the sounds from the attic, the feeling of something that had attached itself to her. She also couldn't shake a sinking feeling that the thing she'd heard had something to do with the fire and something to do with the death of her child. As they searched their minds for answers, Anna and Thomas now began hearing cries at night. Oh. Coming from the attic, just like the footsteps. It was agonizing. It sounded exactly like baby Thomas. Oh. When they weren't hearing crying, they were hearing giggling and cooing. They both were hearing this. Fuck that. And often, just as the crying would fade away, they would hear thud, thud, 
thud. Oh my god, it took their baby. They became convinced that something truly terrible had happened, something unimaginable, something neither would have ever thought possible prior to what they'd both recently experienced. They became convinced that their baby hadn't just died, not naturally. They now thought that something, the thing in the attic, the thing Anna felt and Thomas saw, this it, had taken their baby from them. And when Anna confided this suspicion to a neighbor, to Anna's surprise, the neighbor did not call her crazy or give her the sympathetic look one gives a grieving mother searching for answers. Instead, the neighbor's face went ash white. She looked at their house and whispered, Do you think it could be Yankee Jim? What? Yankee Jim, the neighbor explained, had arrived in San Diego in 1852 and trouble had followed. Jim was a petty thief who had been caught stealing around town a few times. At first, he managed to snake his way out of any proper punishment. But then one day he stole the wrong thing from the wrong man, and this man made sure that Jim was punished, severely. Jim was captured, tried by a quickly thrown together frontier justice court, and brought to a vacant lot next to an old cemetery, a lot where the Whaley House now stood. The town constructed a crude gallows out of a wagon, and Yankee Jim ended up standing on these gallows waiting to be hanged. At his request, he was given a quick Catholic baptism, and then the newly christened man had a thick, coarse rope placed around his neck by the executioner. The gallows wagon then pulled out from under his feet and dropped Jim within a few inches of the ground, where he kicked and twitched and writhed as he was strangled to death while many from town watched. He died hanging with the toes of his boots barely scraping the dirt as he made his final movements, and when Anna heard this part about Yankee Jim's boots scraping the ground, she suppressed an audible cry of terror. In the back of her mind, she heard the thud, thud, thud. She knew in her heart that the angry ghost of Yankee Jim was haunting their home. Oh, boy. She told Thomas what the neighbor had told her, and within weeks, she and her husband and the remaining children were moving to San Francisco. They simply couldn't take the nightly commotion above their heads, the screams and cries of their youngest child calling out to them, not when they could do nothing to save him. By all accounts, they were happy back up in San Francisco, where Thomas still owned his successful store. But then for some reason lost to history, several years later in 1868, the Whaley family returned to San Diego and the Whaley House. What? During the following decade, the Whaley House was used for several things, each business attempt more short-lived than the last. It was for a time the headquarters of the city courthouse, a theater, a general store, uh, other uses. In the early 1870s, local merchants abandoned Old Town, the nickname for the neighborhood where the Whaley House stood, for a trendy district they called Newtown, and now the big house in the corner that had once bustled with activity became cold and impenetrable, except for occasionally when the curtains fluttered as though something were behind them. The store was closed, the business was gone. By this time, the Whaley children had grown up and two of the Whaley daughters had been married inside the house and moved away. And then one daughter would return briefly for the worst of reasons. Violet, the Whaley's younger daughter, married a man named George Bertolacki, and the match was not a good one. Oh, Violet, no. so scared of the social shame and stigma she would receive from a divorce, instead shot herself in the <gasps> chest in the Whaley house on August 18th, 1885. Oh my God. She left a suicide note, and the note read, Mad from life's history, swift to death's mystery, glad to be hurled anywhere, anywhere out of this world. She signed it with her maiden name. Violet Whaley. Violet killed herself on the second floor in a bedroom that she'd hidden for most of her final years trying to get away from the prying eyes of her family and her husband. And today, that door is locked and visitors regularly claim to hear Violet behind the door, crying softly or simply rustling around. My God. After Violet's death, Thomas Whaley built a single-story frame house for his family at 933 State Street in downtown San Diego and the family moved into a new residence, leaving the Whaley house vacant for over two decades. Did Yankee Jim now have the house all to himself? Was that what he'd wanted all along? 
On December 14, 1890, five years after his daughter's untimely death, Thomas Whaley himself died due to ill health at the State Street Address at the age of 67. Two decades later, one of the Whaley sons, Francis Hinton Whaley, spent several years in the early 1900s restoring the old family home, and just like it allegedly had with his mother, something from the property may have attached to him as well. Neighbors reported that Francis started acting odd, started closing all the shutters and curtains when he'd work on the home, that he'd spend hours inside in total darkness. People began to suspect he was trying to communicate with the spirits of the home, and they wondered why communicate with spirits that may have caused his family so much harm. Francis turned the home into a tourist attraction, where he posted signs promoting its historic background and hauntings, and he entertained visitors with his guitar. Meanwhile, his mo- he moved his family back into the house. People wondered again, why would Francis do this if he really believed that there were spirits there? Spirits that probably didn't want him there. Anna Whaley, Francis's mother and Thomas's widow, she moved back into the old Whaley house as well in 1912, along with her daughter and Francis's sister, Corinne Lillian, and her son and Francis's brother, George. A few months later, on February 24th, 1913, Anna died in the home at 80 years of age. A year after that, Francis died on November 19th, 1914, at the age of 59. Almost a decade later, George Whaley died in 1928 at the age of 68, and then Corinne Lillian Whaley, the only surviving member of her immediate family, continued to live into the ho- in the house until her death in 1953 at the age of 88. And apparently, she sometimes told her boarders in her final years that the house was too much for her, but that she just couldn't leave. And they had good sense not to ask why. Most likely, some of her boarders knew why she couldn't leave. They saw mist in the halls, lights turning on and off by themselves. They saw the crystals in the chandeliers swinging back and forth with no breeze, one by one, as though someone were dragging their hand over them. They heard the baby's cries and giggles, sometimes saw a young woman lingering on the second floor of the house. Sometimes the boarders mistook this young woman for someone's guest, and when they would tap her on the shoulder, she would turn around and they would see the blood pouring from her chest and her empty white eyes. Seven years after Corinne's death in 1960, the historic house opened as a museum, managed by the San Diego Historical Shrine Foundation, a nonprofit formed in 1956. The conversion of the house to a museum also opened the house to not-so-casual tourists, mediums, psychics, paranormal investigators. In 1964, Regis Philbin, <laughs> the TV personality who passed away in the summer of 2020, famous now for hosting Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, co-hosting that long-running morning show with Kathy Lee Gifford, he visited the house when he was just 33, hosting a local San Diego show, a morning show, and he claimed to have had a strange encounter himself. Uh-uh. He said he was walking up the stairs in a dimly lit part of the house when he saw something that looked filmy and white in the darkness in front of him. Oh, my God. When he flipped on his flashlight, he saw that there was nothing before him, but he still felt like something was watching him. When he got to the top of the stairs, he discovered who or what was looking at him, a portrait of Anna Whaley. It felt like she was staring directly into his eyes from the painting. It felt like her eyes were alive. Had something filmy and white passed out of the portrait and just as quickly slipped back into Anna's painted face? When he was asked about the sighting, Regis said, You know, a lot of people poo-poo it because they can't see it, but there was something going on in that house. Another visitor in the 70s claimed to have seen a young woman in the old courtroom. She was waiting for her friends to finish up their tour when she saw a figure of a woman wearing a long, full skirt that reached the floor. She had a swarthy complexion, the visitor saw, and the skirt had a calico or gingham print. 
She had a kind of cap on her head, dark hair and small gold earrings, and then poof, she just inexplicably vanished in front of the visitor's eyes. No way. This woman didn't match any physical description of the Whaley's, but with numerous boarders living on the property in the early 20th century, uh, in the early 20th century, could she have been one of them? Was she from the days of Yankee Jim long before the Whaley's moved in? Was she one of the beings that tortured the Whaley's? Before closing due to the COVID pandemic, hopefully just temporary closure, the Whaley house was still open for tours and apparitions were still being witnessed. One recent visitor recalled on a guest message board that she heard the disembodied pounding of a gavel and then raucous music and laughter, which sounded like it was coming from some sort of play or performance. As she headed down the hall towards the source of the sound, she wondered if there was some sort of reenactment going on. But everywhere she went, the music seemed to be coming from just around the next corner. And every time she looked down the next hallway, there was nothing there, just more distant noise. After experiencing this a few times in a row, just behind her, she heard a child's laughter. Oh, God. And then the pitter-patter of tiny feet. She spun around and saw nothing. Nothing to account for the noise, but she knew she had just heard a child run past. <sighs> then she realized how alone she was, how deep in the house away from her tour, how gray and flat the light was, how the sunlight through the stained glass windows looked like blood on the floors. Altogether, it was terrifying. Goosebumps sprouted out on her arms, the back of her neck, and she ran downstairs, not bothering to find her tour group. She left the Whaley house and never came back. It's a lot of stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff on one property for a yeah. long time. Long time. And still happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, if if you believe it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I it mean, was interesting that Regis Philbin, of all say, people, if Regis would say, says like, it happened. Yeah, I saw something that happened. He... He, he was a kooky dude, but he in a was? fun way, just like a, you know, an upbeat kind of fun, not kooky and like, uh, really into like out kind of side the box thinking, but you know, like a go goofy, maybe goofy. it's a different, happy. different term. Happy. I would call him happy. Yeah. I think just cause we're, you know, maybe a little bit less happy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I had all that money, I'd be real happy too. Yeah. He did very well for himself, Oof, especially buddy. his final years. But, but for some reason that stuck out to me as like, really? I he would go on record all, saying that of all people. Exactly. Exactly. That would just. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people that I'm like, eh, but for some reason he feels steady. Right. Like, yeah, like if like the Long Island medium or whatever said, so like, right. okay. Uh. But, but yeah, he's just, yeah, he seems different. Now, here, I do have some pictures. I mean, it's, okay. you know, uh, this first one is the Whaley House, not long after it was built in 1870. Oh, that is not what I was picturing. Well, here's a more recent picture of the house. Uh, it is, it does look very nice. Oh, it almost looks uh, like it could be in New Orleans. Mm hmm. If it was less yeah. brick or brighter colored. Here's a picture of the house at night. Uh, this next one here from uh, recent, you know, recent picture as well. Oh, it's kind of creepy. Uh -huh. the, ups the upstairs three windows mm -hmm, or those French old doors windows. rather. And then uh, this next photo is a still from there was a 2012 horror movie called The Haunting of Whaley House uh, made oh, about all of this. Did I see that? I doubt it. Indie film, low budget. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I will see. 11% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Ouch. I often, I often disagree with critics. I know. And I know, but. I usually don't disagree with when roughly 90% of them hate him. Um, Fair. And then uh, this last one is a photo of Thomas, Anna, and two of their children from 1857. From right around the time they moved into the Whaley house, the younger child there is Thomas Jr. And how many kids did the, they end up having? That's the baby who died. It got a little, a little dodgy in there. Because I thought there was uh, only three kids, but well, then one died. Well, and then they died. had more when they, when they okay, moved to San Francisco. Okay, Because I got confused. I was like, wait, where did the other daughter come from? Where did the other son come yeah. from? Okay, okay. In total, I believe 
including the, the the young boy who died, I believe there was six. Okay. And I believe when they moved back from San Francisco, I'm 99% sure that there was five children with them. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That makes more sense to me. Well, I was very fidgety in that story. My hip is really killing oh, me no. right now. So just uh, sorry about all the movement. I was excited because, you know, I might be talking. Well, I am talking to a doctor mm-hmm. in San Diego soon. And I was like, Ooh, oh, yeah, if we have to go to San Diego, because what, what I find, I actually didn't find that story altogether too terrifying because it sounds like all of the beings that might be in that house, nothing sounds malevolent. Well, the baby thing. But uh, it seems like they kind of gave up on that theory. I mean, did scarlet fever is a real thing. True, true, true. And could it have just been quinky dink? <laughs> it could have been. That was the part, like the entity going up the stairs. I, I felt like, but I, yeah. I don't know. Does, I don't does know. the house, did was the house, my, my biggest concern for the Whaley family specifically was. Does it kind of trap spirits there was it, somehow? Well, was it attracting them to consistently mm. come back? Like when they came back from San Francisco and then why did the son move back there? And why did Veronica go there to kill herself? Right. Like that. And, and if so, the thought process I had there was like, well, if the spirits are pissed off that they built this house on this land, mm-hmm. then are you just constantly drawing this family back? Not just Thomas Whaley, but the, his whole family. Yeah, his, his uh, descendants. Kind of like a, just a curse on the family. Right, right. For, since he was the one who built it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's just one of those um, tales that uh, because we have so many years of accounts, mm-hmm. when you look at all of it. And because Regis Philbin said so. <laughs> and because Regis, and we can trust Regis. Uh, yeah. No, but because of all In of Regis that. Regis we trust is what you're saying. <laughs> Sure. Can I get that on a shirt? In Regis, we try. That would be such a weird. If, a, if the design was cool, that would actually be a super fun shirt. It'd just be so like, what? What? It would be hysterical if it's that, but then scared to death. It's like, what <laughs> is Regis scared to death? I mean, just, oh well, he is. He is dead. I know, but he lived a nice long he life. Did. He, he was really very ill in the end, wasn't he? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, a, a Regis Philbin biographer. No, I just like vaguely remember it because it was, you know, I mean, he is iconic. Yes. Right. So he, I people... do actually know he has a Guinness. <laughs> if you want to bring up random Regis sure. Philbin trivia. Sure. Let's talk about Regis. I do know that he um, logged more hours on television over his life than literally anyone else on earth. That's incredible. He's more the than... most televised person ever. Really? Like more than Barbara Walters, more than oh, Walter yeah. Cronkite? Well, because, I guess he was every doing, day. And because he was doing morning shows, I mean, when you're counting like local TV as well, yeah, and yeah. starting in his 20s, and he went until his 80s of just doing constant shows. I'm good on him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, there was just like a lot in that story. The, and, and he was getting over 20 million a year at the end. Can you even? No, nah, I can't imagine. I, I cannot. I can't imagine one year of 20 million. It's like... Mm-hmm. Year upon year upon year, that just feels so crazy. He was getting that in his eighties. At that point, I think, like, do you really do you care? Right, right. Does a raise matter at that point when you're already rich? And they're like, listen, I know you want to retire, but I know, <laughs> I know you're eighty six years old <laughs> and not long for this earth. But what if we gave you thirty million dollars? Like, like why? <laughs> like, right. like, like you have this this moment of like, yes, now I can finally get this blank. It's like no, 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 because because years of making, even if for years you were making a million dollars a year. Like if you if you are smart with your money and you mm-hmm. don't cage it, it's like you can just like time after you just build wealth. Yeah, there's nothing that is out of your reach unless I don't know you want like a fucking private island. Like I don't I don't know what you buy. Maybe, with maybe that's what he's holding on for. He wanted to spend his. He wanted he to buy want, the doll island. He wanted to live in Mexico City's island of the dolls, mm-hmm. or like so he wanted to be some weird old island of Doctor Moreau type Oof. figure with a little creepy sidekick on his shoulder. D- now Yankee Jim, I have him really called out here. Hmm. So is it 
theorized that like the his boots scraping on the ground. That's, that's the what thud. I took from that. That's what I, I mean. I, I read like that a, part like as like is. I'm trying to like yeah, tap like the you're ground. trying to scrape the ground. Thud thud. I guess you Being know like tapping. hung would be a really horrific way to go. I think it's hanged, but yes, hanged. I know, and it's a weird word, hanged. I know, I know. I just don't. It doesn't ever sound right. I know. I've got I, that one stuck with me because I messed it up for so many years. Yeah, you, you, a picture is hung, a person is hanged. <sighs> Says who? Says the Merriam-Webster <laughs> dictionary. You, let's talk to Miriam about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that that. And, and the old lady also that warned them. I don't know. There are just like a lot of details. But anyways, what I was going to say before yeah. is like, it doesn't feel very malevolent towards anybody who's not a whaley. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like people are seeing spirits in the daytime. Which oh, yeah, true. I am like very open to the idea of visiting a haunted place when it's light outside. Okay. Ask me to go there at dusk or later and I'm probably fucking out. True. You'll probably burst into tears if you see something. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I think I probably would. Um, so recently, because you know, I I have reined in the GTFOs. Mm, I got I gotta why? like because I gotta use them. I don't mm. want to say sparingly, but if you overdo it, it loses its effect. True. Okay. It's like a meal with too much pepper, right? You just use just enough. Okay, sure. I've never heard that comparison before, but all right, <laughs> sweetie, whatever you say. Um, you're the creative genius around here. Oh, I never I never said that. I didn't say that you did. Okay. Ooh, defensive. Um, I was just picturing people thinking, like, is that how he just refers to himself at home? <laughs> you will address me as the creative genius of this house. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I would act that way. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Uh, we, yeah. we do do weird things with well, our yeah, kids. True. Anyways, anyways. Uh, what was I? Ugh, I mean, lose my train of thought. Oh, but so recently I got an email from a fan. And he was like, it was pretty funny. He said like, hey, um, so you talk about like having a ghost in your house and you're always yelling GTFO. Why mm-hmm. don't you get the fuck out, Darren? Ah, like, that's why you're a Darren. But, but my, re- my reply to him was like, yes, but nothing, nothing bad is happening. And it's just been like a few little like, hmm, what was that? Mm-hmm. True. But we might have to move. Nope. Well. I'll be uh, Thomas Whaley. Mm, boy. I'll sacrifice my family to the ghosts if I have to stay in that house. I don't think that he was intentionally sacrificing his family. He might have been. Maybe he didn't care for that baby. Ooh. That I don't know. I wasn't too there. Too much. Okay. Too far. Okay. Too far. <laughs> too far. Wow. You really went for it with that one. It's You know what? It's time, it's time plus tragedy equals comedy. The baby died a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go to your stories. Do you have a squishy? I do. Okay. Okay. I got a. Okay, I just can't get comfortable. I'm so sorry. My hip is just yeah. like screaming over here. It's fine. It's fine. Um, okay, so for our first story over here, we're going to go to Florida for, uh, I mean, I know, grain of salt, Florida, mm-hmm. but a haunted underwater cave. Okay. Okay. I'm excited. So um, I don't think that this is going to give you like those big GTFO moments, but I sure shit think it will make you think twice about the depths and darkness of water. Okay. Okay. And, you know, I think like you and I, I wouldn't call us water people. Like a lake, I think we both feel pretty comfortable. I like to be in the boat, not necessarily in the water that much. Right. Yeah. Well, and like, you're not a super strong swimmer. So I think How that that- dare you? But yeah, true. <laughs> um, I, I happen to be a great swimmer. But also, I recently heard you say on your other show, Incredible Feats, that um, isn't it true that we know more about Mars than we know about the ocean floor? Yes. Yeah. So well, the surface of Mars and the ocean floor. Yep. Yeah. I think that that's pretty, pretty fascinating. Um, just to kind of like put it into context. Um, 
And also, like, I'm terrified of sharks, which we've talked about here before. <laughs> yeah. But, like, have an unrealistic – I've never had any shark encounter. So this this story could seriously give me a fucking panic attack. Okay. 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 Hey, Dan and Lindsay. Happy spoopy season. So obviously this email came in October. It's the most wonderful time of the year, but scared to death gives me scares year round and I love it. Well, not like, oh, because she's, she referred to them as STDs. And so she says, well, it's not like actual STTs, STDs, but you get the point. She says, my name is Kylie and I'm a college senior in Georgia. I'm studying marine biology at the university here and I am in love with everything water related. Mm -hmm. I'm a pretty fearless person and love the adrenaline rush of an adventure, and I'm a total creep. My friends would describe me as logical and level-headed, almost to a fault sometimes, as my bluntness has gotten me in trouble on more than one occasion. Totally get that. I feel like I need to preface this so you know I'm not just some freaked-out, all-of-the-time nut job. Just this past weekend, I was down by the Florida Springs working on getting my advanced scuba diving certification through my university. We have to drive all the way down to Florida because, as you can probably imagine, the murky depths of Lake Lanier aren't a great place to go diving. However, I love the Lake Lanier story. I was listening to the episode in the car as I was driving there for a sailing practice, totally by accident. Needless to say, I was wonderfully freaked out as the sun set over the lake while I was sitting on a boat. Wow. I'm a pretty experienced scuba diver. Having around 80 dives under my belt at this point and being in the water gives me a sense of intense peacefulness that I'm always looking for as a very busy college student. Diving this past weekend in Vortex Springs was, well, different. My dive buddy, M, I'm omitting her name for the sake of this story and out of respect for her privacy. Her and I pulled up to the spring, dreading the infamously cold water, but determined to knock out all of the dives we needed to finish our certification. I was excited, as I always am, to check out a new dive spot, but was slightly disappointed to learn we would be spending most of our time diving at 15-minute intervals in one big circle. I shrugged the feeling of disappointment off and prepared for our long day in the spring by putting my equipment together. Let me tell you a little bit about Vortex Springs. It is located in central Florida on the Panhandle, and there's not much of anything else around. It is a place I would call bumfuck nowhere. (laughs) The gin-clear waters and long, winding cave system of the spring are a popular spot for divers with skill levels ranging from novice to experienced to flock to on the weekends. The water stays around 65 degrees year-round and is linked to the Florida Aquifer. The entrance to the cave is at its depth around 58 feet, with the sign of the Grim Reaper that lists the deadly consequences of cave diving without proper training. Of course, this is the very feature I was most excited to explore. The opening of the cavern is rather wide, with a mouth of 9 to 12 feet, and is accessible to 315 feet below the Earth's surface. Wow. Further passage into the cave is blocked by a steel gate, which I found out later requires a key and special permission from the owners to access. Hmm. I have always known cave cave divers to be a crazy bunch who seem to fear nothing, and I was up for it until this weekend and was excited to try it for myself to potentially join their fearless ranks. Em and I walked slowly to the spring's shore, heavy scuba gear weighing us down, goggles on our heads and fins in our hands. As we wobbled slowly to the water, I began to dread the cold that awaited me. We performed our final buddy checks and deemed ourselves ready to get it all over with. 
M, having been there before, was particularly dreading the experience. I, on the other hand, felt a little bit excited to explore this new dive spot. Even if it did disappoint, I was ready to have the feeling of being relaxed by the weightlessness of being neutrally buoyant. We slipped into the cool water, sending shivers down my spine. Even though I had on two wetsuits, it did not stop the cold from creeping in. Soaking me with chills to the very bone, we descended into the water column and gave the universal diver sign for okay, ready to begin the dive. I felt unsettled, disappointed that I was missing the feeling of serenity I usually experience while diving. But why? Why was this time different? It was a feeling I was not accustomed to as a pretty fearless and easygoing individual, and on top of that, an experienced diver. The water surrounding me felt sad somehow. And how is that possible? M led the first dive and brought me over to the entrance of the cave. I would have felt curious, but a feeling so intense washed over me I could hardly think of anything else. Morbid oppressiveness. These are the best words I can think of to describe the way I felt at the entrance of the cave. It seemed to draw me in and deter me at the same time. I didn't feel afraid, but I also felt so sad. Awful thoughts began creeping into my head as I shivered. This is how it feels to die a horrible drowning death, surrounded by cold and wet and nothing but darkness. Just imagine, said a voice in my head that wasn't at all my own. I began to shiver harder. I was still not afraid. I was just sad. I felt the fear and panic of someone else. My eyes were playing tricks on me as I started as I stared into the abysmal, pitch black entrance of the cave. I imagined the face of a dead and bloated scuba diver. No, there was more than one. Their goggles still on, their hair swirling weightlessly around their pale as milk skin. I tore my eyes away, shivering more. We continued the dive, and the feeling stayed with me. After completing a few more dives and staying far away from the cave's entrance, I decided to get stoned to escape the feeling and complete the rest of my dives. I didn't tell M what I was thinking about or how I felt, and we weren't as we weren't that close yet. We finished the dives without a hitch. The weirdness of the day stayed with me that night, though. I just didn't usually think that negatively or morbidly, especially in my happy place beneath the surface of the water. The second day, just yesterday as I write this, we were to go deep into the cave with the head dive instructor so that we could complete a deep dive. Of course, I began to dread this immediately. I wasn't afraid of going into the cave per se, but I was apprehensive of the intense feeling of dread that met me when I was near its mouth. I shivered at the thought of the cold water and that oppressive feeling, this time without the help of good old Mary Jane to relax me. We got into the water and descended, kicking over to the entrance. We penetrated the cave, flashlights bouncing off of limestone walls. That oppressive sadness washed over me, more intense with every fin kick, propelling us forward deeper and deeper into the cave as we went. Freshwater eels and giant catfish crossed in front of our flashlights in every single crevice I imagined a dead diver. It was so gruesome. It made me so sad. Blinking to clear my eyes, the images would disappear. We pressed forward and I tried not to think about it, but there was that voice again, the voice that didn't belong to me. Running out of air? Can't you feel that? The final moments? The panic? The disorientation? Imagine how it felt for us. The words repeated in my head over and over and over, though they were not my own, and this I knew. We turned around 
careful not to stir up silt that can make it make clarity so dull and trap divers in a cave, we kicked towards the entrance. I kept telling myself that I was just narked, a term divers use to explain nitrogen narcosis, hmm. a condition that happens to some people if they spend too much time at depth where they start acting kind of funny. I knew this was unrealistic as I have never been narked before and have completed many dives at depth for longer periods of time without becoming narked. Besides the entire cave diving experience only lasted for about 10 minutes. I knew I wasn't narked. Em and I had to only complete one more dive and we stayed away from the cave, taking funny pictures and celebrating the completion of our advanced diving certification. Mm -hmm. Those creepy words continued to echo in my brain and I tried my best to push them out. We began our six-hour drive home after completing our dives, enjoying the warm dryness of my car. I finally spoke up to M. Okay, I don't want you to think I'm crazy or anything, but I felt something down there. I was having these really dark thoughts, and, and it's almost like, like someone was trying to communicate with me. That shit is for sure haunted, I said. M furrowed her brows as we continued down the highway. Do you think, well, do you think maybe someone died down there, she said? I shrugged. I don't know, dude. And I told her everything I felt on those dives. She went quiet for a few seconds, pulling out her phone. She began typing something into Google. <gasps> Holy fuck, man, she said, a gasp escaping from her lips. What? I asked on the edge of the driver's seat. She began to explain to me that Vortex Springs had quite the violent history. A group of 13 divers went down to the cave and never came out. That is why the wrought iron gate is where it is. Another man went missing was never, and was never found in the caves and was eventually pronounced dead. Two of many divers seeking the reward that came with finding his body or evidence of his death died down there as well while searching for him. These divers would have had to take their gear off, twist it through a 10-inch wide hole, and twist their own bodies through it as well. Their bodies had to be pulled out of the springs later. Uh. There was something about a young girl around my age who died in the cave as well, and two more novice scuba divers died in the water outside of the cave. A total of 21 or 22 people altogether had Dang. died in Vortex Springs. My jaw dropped. With each search, it was as if we were uncovering more bodies, more untold stories of which I was not aware of until this very moment. Ugh, Em said. I didn't know about this. God, it's so sad. Apparently, cave divers, when they run out of air, they like to burrow into the walls of the caves to try to find air pockets or just to hide. No one knows why. I guess it's just a last-ditch effort to rescue themselves, you know? I didn't know that before, and yet somehow I did. My mind flashed to the images I saw while in the caves of the dead divers jammed into the nooks and crannies of the cave's walls. I got chills all over, but this time, they weren't from the cold-as-fuck water. I can't stop thinking about it. Was something or someone trying to reach out to me? To warn me to be careful? Were they trying to make me understand the horrific final moments of their life? Or lives? The word, us. That is what the voice in my head spoke about. Are the spirits of those poor, terrified people dwelling in their watery graves deep below the surface of the earth still down there? Or is it a reverberation, an echo of failed attempts, the last of the life energy divers expended in a panic to get themselves out of the cave? I wanted to cry. I felt so sad for them. We tried to Google if it was haunted, but no results came up. Em said she didn't feel anything down there, but I believe this sort of thing has happened to me before. I've been told by my hippie aunt that I'm an <laughs> empath, and if I wanted to, I could hone this sense and speak to the dead, to which I say, no thank you. 
There have been many times in my life where I am sure I was contacted by my loved ones, but it has never been like this. As a biologist, I place my fundamental belief in science, and things of a spiritual nature are put on the back burner. But experiences like this, those I can't explain, those are what get me, that perhaps there is more to life than what meets the eye. It haunted my dreams last night and has plagued my thoughts all day today. Writing this down has helped me, or maybe not. I just can't be sure, but I hope you guys get as spooked as I did, just a little something extra to go into Halloween thinking about. Lucky me. Love the podcast. I hope you have a very happy Halloween. Best of luck to you and your immune systems. For the love of God, don't let this story keep you from ever trying scuba diving. Maybe just stay far away from Vortex Springs. Best to you, Kaylee. Kylie. Kylie, yeah, thanks, Kylie. Yeah, that's a that's a that was a nice like different kind of story. Yeah, than a lot of the ones we we've had. And uh, and and I do like that she included her background yeah. and her general perspective on life. Mm-hmm. That she's not somebody who uh, feels like she's seen these things, you know, often. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, how powerful that feeling was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. And like you know, for two people who aren't fans of like going down deep in the water, <laughs> right? I mean, it really kind of like I don't know, it just Man. settled with me in a very different way. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I just if I was gonna. Go gonna, swimming in the ocean right now. I think I'd be pretty freaked out. Yeah, I, I just wouldn't like. Uh, I mean, we did that, you know, scuba diving before together, and, and it was actually fun, kind of getting over. You that know. wasn't scuba diving. That was snorkeling. Oh, you're right. I mean, she's like she's going down. Pack. She is she's going down. down. You're right. Down, you're right. Baby. You're right. She's going. Yeah, <laughs> scuba. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to. I mean, I don't know. If I ever get into it, I'm not going to be starting in like weird sinkholes, like you know, underwater caves. It's going to be like open water. It's going to be probably open fresh water. Well, to be and we'll see how that goes. To be clear, I'm not scuba diving. Just any place ever. No, just like the overall thought of it like makes my heart start racing. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know why. I, I don't know if it's just like fear of the unknown or what could find me or what I would see that I don't want to see. And in my mind right now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to find dead bodies. I think I might do it if I got to wear a super cool suit and it ha- got to have my own torpedo. Okay. Not torpedo, harpoon. Torpedo's sure. too much. You can have one of each. Mm, it'd be hard to carry a torpo- torpedo. Torpoon. Ooh, a torpoon. I don't know. I want a torpoon and a uh-huh. torpedo and a harpoon. Well, okay, fair. And I want them on my arm in some kind of situation where I can shoot them off like a RoboCop type thing. Okay. Well, at by complete randomness, I mm-hmm. had previously, well, not complete. I had previously mentioned my fear of sharks. Mm-hmm. And then a fan emailed me some pictures of her scuba diving with sharks. And so while this is, these are photos, not of from Kylie, they're okay. from another fan, uh, Emily, and she's given us permission to use them. Okay. So uh, I just think it's so fascinating. So this is Emily mm. and her dad is in the background and uh, a family friend. I don't know which of those two gals is sure. Emily. Okay. So that's them in the deep down. I don't know where. Yeah. Uh, now, this second photo is what they saw up above them. <laughs> no, thank you. Fucking giant shark. Uh, right? Or, I'm sorry, that's, that's them looking at the shark head on. Mm-hmm. And then we have one more photo of the shark to really show you its size, them looking up at it. Wow. And, and she wrote in her message to me, she said that... Um, Jeez. Yeah. She said that, well, you know, it ha- what, how did she say? Coming... Oh, oh, the shark swam between her legs, and she said it was the most humbling experience of her life. Hmm. 
And what I, I didn't have the balls to ask her if she just like shit her wetsuit. <laughs> because there's no way. She said humbly and I'm guessing not, but yeah. Oh my God. And that is, I, I could never. Mm-mm. No way. Because you know, people do those like shark dives where you're in a cage. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But I just imagine that I would like open my mouth up to scream because I would be so terrified and then yeah. I would drown. <laughs> Maybe. But, I mean, you know me. <laughs> so, oh. So you hate dolls? I don't, yeah. I hate some dolls, yeah. I mean, I think most I've gotten dolls. more used to them since there's a bunch right behind me. But yes, they do. Even like this little guy right behind me. Well, look, I oh, yeah. I don't know. We have some dolls. They don't really show up. They don't really show up. I'm not going to grab them because they'll fall apart and try and bring them onto the table. But they do freak me out. You can bring them over. I don't want to. Uh-huh. You're no, it, 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 I'm not going to get into it. Just like pointless for people listening. But it's uh, it would fall apart. I'll, I can explain why after the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I don't really have any experiences, experiences with haunted dolls. Um, yeah. I know that when I used to stay with my aunt, she had like, uh, you know, those like monkey dolls, those like sock monkeys. Oh, yeah. Those yeah, things yeah, yeah. freaked me the mm-hmm. fuck out. <laughs> um, so this is this st- a bizarre story of a for sure haunted doll. Okay. That is not Robert or Annabelle. Okay. Okay. Hey, Dan and Lindsay just started listening to Scared to Death and I'm obsessed. Thanks for all of the great stories, which make my long drives through rural northern Maine much more fun and spooky. I wanted to share a story that happened to me about 10 years ago. I was 12 at the time, and it all started when I went to a family reunion with my grandmother's side of the family. It started out as a pretty typical reunion, lots of relatives I was somehow related to, and a bunch of food to pass the time. I met a relative there whom my nana referred to as my great uncle, but in reality, he was just a distant cousin. He was an older man in maybe his 60s or 70s. After the typical awkward hellos and small talk, the older man turned to me and said, I have some dolls in the back of my truck I got from China. I think they would be quite valuable one day. Would you like one? I was very excited to see the dolls. I had spent my childhood collecting porcelain dolls, which are all proudly displayed in my bedroom. I walked to the car with my distant cousin that I wasn't quite sure how I was related to. He opened the trunk and there sat a few dolls. They were made of porcelain with white skin and looked to be dressed in traditional kimonos. The old man told me to pick whichever doll I wanted. I picked picked one in a nice red dress. And from there, things got very weird. My grandparents dropped me back off at my parents' house after the family reunion. I brought the doll inside and placed it in our family living room. Life went on as normal that night, my parents asking me how the reunion was and me excitedly telling them about my new doll. However... We did notice that my dog did not seem to like the doll I had brought home. My dog, who is one of the sweetest, snuggliest dogs ever that I had ever met, sat in, sat in front of the doll staring and growling at it. We thought it was odd since she had never reacted like this to anyone or anything, but we just wrote it off and went to bed. Before I go into the next part of this story, I would like to explain a little bit more about my family. I have two older sisters, one of which has always been extremely sensitive to the paranormal. She always seems to know things that she wouldn't have known any other way. For example, she turned 21 a few days after my dad's college roommate and best friend passed away. I will call this friend Kevin for privacy's sake. My parents were driving her home after celebrating, and she calmly said from the back seat, Kevin's in the car with us right now and then proceeded to tell my dad details about their friendship that only my dad would know, such as their college dorm room number. This is just one of the many strange experiences that my sister has had. So, the day after I brought the doll home, my sister came home from college for the weekend. She walked into the house and immediately said, 
something's wrong here. Something feels off. She started walking around the house and immediately zeroed in on the doll. She walked up to it and said, it's this. Something is wrong with this. It feels evil. And then she proceeded to pick up the doll and throw it outside into our front yard. (laughs) I hadn't seen any of this happen as I was still asleep upstairs. My sister told my dad, do not bring that doll back into this house. It's evil and it will go after one of us. And then she told my dad that she thought the doll would specifically go after me. Still, unaware, I was upstairs asleep. My dad was skeptical, though, even after seeing how the dog and how my sister had reacted to the doll. The weekend was uneventful, and my sister left on Sunday to go back to college. After she left, my dad brought the doll back inside from the yard and put it in a closet that was underneath my bedroom. Then, my dad left on a business trip, leaving my mom and I home alone in the house. That night, the night my dad and my sister had left, is a night I have never forgotten, nor will I ever. I am a very heavy sleeper. I typically don't wake up in the middle of the night at all, and have always been like that. However, this night was very different. I woke up randomly in the middle of the night. My room was dark, like very dark. I immediately had a feeling of pure panic wash over me, and I wasn't even sure why. And then I heard it. Someone, or something was at the end of my bed. It sounded like whatever was at the foot of my bed was pounding on my dresser. It wasn't a light knocking, but instead sounded like a heavy textbook was being dropped over and over again. Bam! 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 I was terrified to turn on my light. The sound kept happening, and it seemed like it was only getting louder. Panic built up within me as I tried to force myself to turn on the light. For some reason, I pictured some kind of creature sitting on my bureau. I'm not sure why I had that thought, but it is the image that was inside my mind. I forced myself to turn on the light, and immediately the noise stopped. There was no one in the room with me. The next part, however, is the part I have never been able to get over. I distinctly remember saying in my head, if it's 3 a.m., I'm going to freak out. And slowly, as I turned around to look at the clock, I saw it was 3 a.m. on the dot. 3 a.m. is rumored to be the time when the paranormal, especially demons, are most active and often tend to show themselves. I had always been interested in the paranormal and knew this from the hundreds of ghost investigation shows I had watched. Knowing that this, that this horrible, unexplainable sound happened at 3 a.m. on the dot terrified me. I ran to my mom's room and I slept there. When I told her what happened, she looked a little surprised. She pretended not to believe me that night and said I must have been dreaming. However, in the morning, she told me, told me what my sister had told my dad about the doll, that it was evil, that she felt like it was going to go after us, and more specifically me, that my dad hadn't believed her and had put the doll back in the closet under my bedroom. I was now terrified. That day, my mom took the doll and donated it to the local library, which I have always thought is hilarious. Things mostly went back to normal after that, as I only had one other small experience. A few weeks later, I came home from school and went up to my bedroom. As I had mentioned earlier, I grew up collecting porcelain dolls and had them displayed on a high shelf in my bedroom. Also on that shelf, I had a crucifix, which my grandmother had given me on my first communion. When I walked into the room that day, my crucifix looked like it had been thrown across the room and was sitting upside down, propped up against the wall on the opposite side of the room from the dolls. Nothing else on that shelf had been disturbed, only my cross. I quickly put the cross back and shortly after that moved all of my childhood dolls out of my bedroom. And after that, all of the activity ended. 
To this day, I can't look at a porcelain doll without getting the chills. Mm -hmm. I often wonder if the library had any odd experiences after receiving the doll. Keep up the good work. Keep up the great podcast, Emma. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, that's a creepy story. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. Also, I love that the doll is at the fucking library. Mm -hmm. That made me laugh so (laughs) hard. This story reminded me of just like, because didn't she say it was like an Asian doll? Yes. Um, uh, Okay, I've told you about Maggie's doll, right? Uh, Maggie Mm. Julian? It reminded me of... I forgot. I think I might have talked about it on Scared to Death. No, on I don't Scared think you Death. have. Okay. If, if you I, have, it's been a very long time. It's been a long time, time if, I, if I have. But oh it reminded me... Oh, my God. My former manager and just friend, Maggie, yeah. uh, she is not a paranormal enthusiast at all. N- not at Never all. Never talks about that stuff ever. I've known her for a long time. I would, I would say she's uh, a skeptic. Mm-hmm. And she got a doll as a gift from her brother who kind of works all over the world. I believe from Japan, this um, this like Japanese, like with like the silk uh, traditional kind of dress, the kimono. I think it's called a kimono. Yeah, I think I think I've, well, it's been a while since I've seen this. I'm trying to picture it in my mind. I can picture it a little but, bit. Yeah, and she had it kind of like you know on this little set of shelves. I, I know no furniture was it, terms. Wasn't it like right when you walked into her house? Mm-hmm. It okay, was. On so it's like so she lives in L. A. and mm-hmm. she lives like in an old 1920s kind of bungalow style house. And when mm-hmm. you would walk, she has like this arched wooden door. When you would walk through the door, mm-hmm. you would arrive in a very small sort of like foyer. Yeah, and then you turn to go into the house, and then it would be on the left. Yeah, it, and there was like sort of like an alcove almost with built-in. Yeah shelves yeah 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 okay thank you you're welcome uh and on the bottom was this doll yeah and she said oh my god that she had uh numerous times she would get up in the morning and there would be a puddle of water mm-hmm. in front of this doll and there is no reason like i, I don't know where that water would come from because right. I think it's, it's a one-story part- house yeah so there's no there should be no pipes above there was it, w- it wasn't like after it would rain no and i think she had it looked at like to mm-hmm. make sure there was no there was no leaky pipe there was not right. a leak in the roof like just nothing and it would be weird if a pipe were leaking below it would just leak down to the ground mm-hmm. underneath the house it wouldn't leak up right and it's not like she had radiant heat in her floors no she yeah but she's not in like a flood area like there's no reason for this mm-hmm. water and and she also started to think and she's like i swear dan she's like sometimes i get up and that doll is facing an entirely different position uh-huh. than when i went to bed and then she would put it back and then it would be facing that way again and it just went and i was like and i told her i'm like get that doll the fuck out of your house uh-huh and she did she did for whatever reason she didn't she's like nope I, she's like i'm not did she still rated. have it? Yeah. Oh, I was just emailing with her last week. I'm going to ask for some doll updates. Weird. I got a question. Yes. Yeah. Uh, can we get her a GoPro? <gasps> oh, of some I don't sort? know. Why Maybe. did we never think of that? <laughs> yeah. If it's happening that much, let's film this fucking thing. Oh, my God. My that God. would be amazing footage We'd if this little thing would famous just turned. Oh this show straight to the top if we get that evidence. <laughs> Thank oh. you, Joe. Well, we are emailing Maggie. We'll see if she'll do it. I forgot about it. I know. I know. She might not want to know because there is like a certain <laughs> kind of piece of just like uh, maybe maybe not right mm-hmm. justify it away yep oh my god now uh, does Jarena the dog does the dog hate the doll because that is another valid question i don't know if the dog does or not okay and but, again, but i also sorry know that for, she, uh, okay. she would know if it was like pee you know when she cleaned right, it up right 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 yeah, well yeah it would be yellow it would smell all the things yeah and also just like again sorry for all my fidgeting I know you're not comfortable, so let's let's yeah. let's do our thank yous and get you out of here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, so now you wanted to talk about the charity. Do you want to do the Annabelle shout-outs Anna- first? Let's do the shout-outs first. Okay, let's do it. You want to start? Sure. Okay, go for it. So 10 Annabelles here to uh, uh, to thank. Thank you for signing up for our Patreon. Yannick Van uh, Esbrek, Anthony Kaleo, James Camoza. Oh, man. And then this name is an Icelandic name, I believe. Uh, oh, 
Wow. I gave you all the hardest it's names. It's Y-G-G-V-I-L. And I cannot remember for the life of me how to pronounce it. So Y-G-G-V-L. Igvil uh, Fafnerson. I believe it sounds like a, a Swedish or Icelandic. I think Icelandic. Anyway, Julia Farinas, Veronica um, Terefnico, uh, Rachel Ayers, Michelle Miller, um, Brandon Sweetman, and Kay Paulus. Nice. I was trying to stump you with the names. Well, I, feel, I, I don't think I nailed them all. I feel but. successful. <laughs> okay, Sarah, no last name. Chris Carthcart, Cathcart, mm-hmm. Amy Rice. Hi, BFF. <laughs> Shelby Bottoms, Chesney Dixon, Daniel Doyle, Elise. LeBlanc, who has been with us like through every adventure. Yes. I know that name. Mm-hmm. I Me too. see it so often. Adam Miller, Nicole B, and Stephanie Lynn. Thank you, you yeah, sweet Annabelle. And then I have a couple spoopy shout outs, as you mm-hmm. know. Happy anniversary to Miranda from Me Call. Happy anniversary to Gage from Colette. Happy everything. I think that's like a birthday anniversary, all inclusive. Yeah. To Sam from Jess. Sending some love from Leanne to Victoria, co-workers and co-listeners. And happy belated 50th birthday to Andy from Nicole. And then just a tiny little shout out to all of our truck drivers out there. Yeah. I have been getting so many emails from truck drivers mm-hmm. talking about how this just like keeps them alert. And And yeah. every time a truck driver emails me, I always think like, we take for granted mm-hmm. all that, the goods we can access. Yeah, and that like Amazon can get shit to you in two days. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, like without truck drivers who spend so much time away from their families, oh, the economy would shut down. Well, and with COVID, it's like mm-hmm. we're ordering things more than ever online. Mm-hmm. So one truck driver emailed me and said, "Hey, could you just give a little love to all the truck yep. drivers out there?" So, yep, we do. We do love our truck drivers. So grateful. Mm-hmm. And it's not a job I could shows. do. Yeah, tough job, dangerous job. Mm-hmm. Got to be really focused and stay focused for long periods of time. Well, yeah, and like we live uh, where I see truck drivers. They have to go over like a big, big mountain, mountain pass. passes, crazy I'm curves. I'm nervous in like my SUV. Like mm-hmm. when I see them with these giant loads, I'm like, oh, God. Yep. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, thank you. And then also the ex- explanation of the donation. So, yeah. So, uh, for the Bad Magic donation for December, um, yeah, not sure how much we have donated because we recorded this in advance. Mm-hmm. It's going to be over, I think, probably well over, actually, $10,000 because it's going to be 10000 from the from the Patreon Bad Magic total mm-hmm. that's going to go to this giving tree uh, thing we have that I'll explain here in a second. And then also, we did some matching. Fans started to send in things. We donated to the Cult of the Curious, which is a Time Suck Facebook group giving tree. Um, next year, we're going to do the same thing, open it up to Creeps and Peepers, that Facebook group as well. But we didn't this year because it went really fast. Yeah. And we announced on Time Suck, and we had barely started the Patreon Scared to Death. So sorry, but we will do it on this show next year. Yeah. And you can explain more about it. Yeah. So what happened is last year, uh, so, you know, we had, we didn't have a Patreon for Scared to Death last year. And so mm-hmm. this was working off of Time Sucks Patreon. Yeah. And so, you know, we have like modeled the Scared to Death Patreon into this is a whole unit of bad mm-hmm. magic. And you guys know that we're making a donation every month. And last year at Christmas, it just we're aware that every Family has its challenges. And so we decided, like, well, why can't it be like Time Suck Gives Back? Mm -hmm. And so we created this idea. I mean, it's not like it's new. People have been doing giving trees forever. But it mostly, like, it stems from me. And because when I was a kid, we were on a giving tree one year. And it Mm -hmm. just, like, has never left me. Mm -hmm. That experience of someone knocking on my door and giving my family presents that we wouldn't have had otherwise. So we decided that that was something that we wanted to do as a community 
And so we opened it up on TimeSuck first, and within 24 hours, we had over 100 emails. And so we just felt like we already knew it was going to be so challenging and so difficult because we're just going to pick at random because I, I can't be the decider of who is more worthy or deserving because mm-hmm. these stories are my husband died of covid and we got kicked out of our place uh you know i had a steady job and we were never paycheck to paycheck people but now we are like they're just every story is gut-wrenching i find myself sobbing at the computer every single day and then ultimately a lot of our time suck fans reach out and said like hey i have 50 bucks hey i have a hundred dollars a fan sent us a thousand dollars like it's just so moving and dan and i had a conversation where we said like okay we should match dollar for dollar we've been able to work all year and that's not like you know we don't have a ton of extra money but there are people who need it and Mm -hmm. so we decided to match dollar for dollar whatever fan donations we got and so i'm gonna guess that by the time this episode airs the total amount of money that we will be able to use to help families in need this Christmas will probably total about $20,000, Yeah, which is incredible. So next year we will open it up. And I hope that you guys understand that it's not to say that you don't have your stories. We know you do. We just, I I just, I didn't know where to draw the line. So I hope you guys Mm -hmm. understand. Yeah, they do. Uh, thank, thank you all, uh, for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. It's such a great part of the show. Uh, thanks for emailing us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan and Kate Keith, the Keith, uh, running badmagicmerch.com and socials. Uh, and again, we have a new customer service email store at badmagicproductions.com. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation, Joe Paisley, Zach Flannery uh, for their production, uh, Joe for directing, uh, Zach Cohen for custom bed sound creation, and Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Uh, also, thank you to Spotify. Appreciate being placed numerous times on the Spooky Stories playlist. We have found so many new creeps and peepers that way. Uh, subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content at Scared to Death Podcast. Uh, we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over 11,000 horror-loving members. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating. And if you don't want to hear more ads, if you want a, a monthly bonus episodes, one just came out, check out our Patreon. Get the entire catalog ad-free. So much more. Part of your proceeds, 20%, goes to donations like the Giving Tree. Enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared.